Hello, this is Pastor Don from the Atlantic Evangelical Free Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can check us out on the web at AtlanticFreeChurch.com. In the meantime, I hope the sermon you're about to hear draws you closer to the Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening, and God bless you. Well, good morning. Before we get into the Word, we'll get into that in just a few minutes here, I'd like to take a few minutes, we'd like to take a few minutes to um, pray for Abby. This is Abby Altman, and Abby is leaving tomorrow for a, uh, a missions trip. It's, I won't call it short term, it's a two years commitment, hopefully two years. one to two years, so we'll, we'll see her, I'm sure, intermittently, but uh, she's going to Uganda. Uh, with Youth with a Mission. And so I've asked her to share with us just a little bit about what she'll be doing and uh, just what she'd like us to know, maybe even a prayer point or two in there. And then when she's done, I'll actually have her mom and dad join us up front, and Brent will come up too, and we'll pray for her. But Abby, go ahead. Good morning. So for those of you who don't know me, I am Abby Altman, and I will be going to Uganda, like Pastor Don said. Um, I have felt called into missions since I was eight years old, and God has confirmed that ways um, over the years. And so I actually um, was in Mexico recently for seven months, and there I taught preschool at a youth with a mission base, as well as served in a few different communities each week, and was able to be a part of this cool ministry called Homes of Hope. Um, And so in Africa, some of what I will be doing will be similar to that. Um, They have a discipleship training school, which is the initial school that people joining YWAM do to become a missionary. And so I did my discipleship training school in January of last year, and it was. And I learned a lot about scripture and grew in my relationship with Christ. Um, and so I'm excited to now have the opportunity to lead other people through this school and to get to go go through it again myself. Um, another ministry that they have is a preschool, and the cool thing about their preschool is that it is actually open to the community at an obtainable price. And so I will get to um, teach preschool to Ugandan children from the community and hopefully have opportunities to share the gospel with them. Um, And I'm very much looking forward to that opportunity. Currently, the preschool is not open because of COVID, and Uganda is still in very strict lockdown. But they're hoping that it can open again next year at some point. Um, Another ministry that they have is an evangelism ministry that sends out a team of people five days a week into hospitals, villages, um, schools, and even prisons, and shares the gospel with them. And I've seen that God has sparked this in me more recently, that I would love to share the hope I have in Christ with others. And so I'm looking forward to growing in that while I'm in Uganda, as well as um, growing in my skills in practical things so that I can assist people who are in that country um, with learning how to do things that they can then use to um, bring in an income for themselves um, and not just helping them spiritually, but helping them physically as well in their situations. Um, Some prayer requests I have are just that you'd be praying for me as I'm traveling to Uganda this week. um, And also just that I would have a COVID test once there and just that everything goes smoothly with that. That's all I have. Thank you so much for your prayers and support so far. All right. Thank you. Um, Brent, could you come on up? Uh, Brent's our deacon of missions. Larry's not here, right? I thought Larry told me he was away. Yeah, I'd have Larry join us too. But um, And uh, Brett, Brett and Sarah, come on up, please. This is uh, her mom and dad. And 
if I was them, I'd want to be up here. So I figured they would like to. So I'm, I'm just going to pray. Let's, let's lay hands on, uh, on Abby. Lord, we thank you so much for this young woman. Uh, and we are um, we're impressed by you and your work in her life, Lord. We thank you for laying this call upon her heart, uh, making it so clear to her, Lord, and, and to those of us around her who have been able to affirm this call. And uh, we, uh, we send her, Lord, we, we see in the book of Acts where a group of people in the church gathered around Paul and, and, uh, and Barnabas and sent them out there in Acts 13. And we are standing in that tradition as we send her out, Lord, uh, to Uganda, to this work with Youth with a Mission. We pray that it would be fruitful and effective for your kingdom, Lord. We pray that others will grow through her ministry with the DTS. We pray that she herself will continue to grow and abound in her own faith. Uh, we pray for the children she'll work with. We pray that those doors open quickly for the evangelism she'll be doing. Uh, we pray that you will bless this young woman's ministry and bless, uh, bless others through her. Bless, bless Uganda, Lord, through Abby and, and the team that she's part of. Bless them as, even as you bless her. Uh, we do ask for, uh, for your, your hand to be upon her as, as she travels. Uh, that it would go smoothly, there wouldn't be a single hitch, that every, every connection would be made, and there wouldn't be any issues or problems in any way with that, that all the whatever luggage gets there, all that sort of thing, Lord, we would just ask your blessing upon that. And uh, we do pray just for the, for the COVID thing, you know, there's extra, extra things now with that kind of international travel, we pray that her test clears and whatever, uh, whatever quarantine they're requiring on that end would, would pass quickly and uneventfully. And uh, Lord, so we just ask your hand of protection upon her, upon her family as they're here. Um, it is, uh, it's always hard for a church and for a family to, to send, send one of our own out, but we know that she's doing what we're about. And so we release her to you and send her out in your name, in Christ's name. Amen. Sure. <laughs> got to make sure I got this back on here. One uh, postscript. Here you go. <laughs> to mention is that I will have a table in the back so if you're interested in hearing more about what I'll be doing in Uganda or Youth with Emissions Hopeland there in Jinja you can go back there and chat with me more and I'll also have an email sign up list and so that if you already don't receive my emails you can sign up and begin getting those thank you amen thank you yeah thanks for mentioning that okay and now we'll have our scripture reading Reading this morning from Zephaniah, chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, and then chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal, and the name of the idolatrous priests along with the priests, those who bow down on the roofs to the host of the heavens, those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swear by Milcom, Milk, those who have turned back from following the Lord who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. 
Gather together, yes, gather, O shameless nation, before the decree takes effect, before the day passes away like chaff, before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord. Seek the Lord, all you humble of, of the land, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. Thank you, Cheryl. Just a quick reminder, we will be sharing the Lord's Supper together this morning. And so um, hopefully when you came in, you had a chance to pick up one of these little cups. If you didn't, we'll bring you one when we get to that part in the service. One, a couple of our, our men will be available to do that. And if you're at home, please join us with uh, communion. Um, any crackers and juice will do that you can uh, join with us right there in, heaven, in, uh, in your homes. And, and we can uh, share the Lord's Supper together uh, at the, uh, after the service. Would you pray with me, please, as we get into this text in this book? Oh, Lord God, we thank you so much for, uh, for your word, uh, for all of your word. And uh, this morning we, we look at a book that is difficult in parts. Uh, one author I love called these kinds of passages the grisly bits uh, and uh, hard, hard to chew, hard to digest, but we need them. And so I pray that as we look this morning uh, at this first section in Zephaniah that you would speak to us, Lord. Categories for understanding our world, more importantly, give us... Uh, categories for understanding ourselves and what we need to do uh, flowing out of this text. And so we look to you now. We pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of each one of our hearts would be pleasing to you. In Christ's name, amen. Sometimes, not all the time, the world seems like a great big mess. You look around, everywhere you look, things are bad. Violence is on the rise dishonesty is rampant. You don't know who to believe, who to trust. Uh, everywhere you see materialism. People are selfish with their resources. There's tension between those who have and those who have not. Uh, many of God's people are struggling too. They don't pray very much. They don't read God's word. When they do read God's word, they kind of pick and choose. They keep the parts they like. They throw out the parts they don't. They reach into other religions, bring it in, kind of mix it up with what the Bible says and make up their own personal, their own personal faith. Uh, things are dangerous on the global scene too. There's a new superpower on the rise uh, an aggressive superpower that seems determined to expand its power all over the world, to, to control as many other nations as they can. And you look around, you see all that, and you ask yourself a question. The question is, what's a believer to do? What's a believer to do? How does a faithful follower of the one true God live in times like this? Right? When, when the world's falling apart, what's a, world, what's a, what's a believer to do? That's the question Zephaniah was asking himself when he wrote this book. You, you probably thought I was talking about today. You probably thought I was describing 2021 just a moment ago. And, and I will con concede, I'll admit, some, some of that description has some stuff in common with the, with the world we live in. But actually, everything I said, everything I began with, doesn't come from yesterday's newspaper or online. It comes straight from Zephaniah chapter 1. That world 
that I just described. That's the world Zephaniah lived in when God spoke. The, the book of Zephaniah was written uh, sometime between 640 and 620 B.C. You actually can pin down from some historical things when it was written. It was between 640 and 620 B.C. So we're, we're talking 600 plus years before the incarnation, before Jesus came to earth. Uh, so we're, we're Old Testament. It's one, of the, it's, called, it's one of the minor prophets. If you had a hard time finding it before, by the way, it's very close to the end of your Old Testament. It's near the end there. And historically... Historically, uh, I, I got to situate you to kind of what was going on. Zephaniah is written after the northern kingdom of Israel has been destroyed. So the northern kingdom's destroyed. Uh, you might remember, you know, King David and then his son, King Solomon, was kind of the golden age of Israel. After Solomon died, there was a civil war. Israel actually collapsed into civil war, and the result was two separate kingdoms, two different nations. The one in the north was called Israel, which gets a little confusing sometimes because it's still called Israel. Sometimes it's also called Ephraim. And, uh, and th that was the northern ten tribes. And then you had the southern tribes. That was Judah. And that was, that's called Judah in the Bible. So when you read about Judah in the Old Testament, we're talking about that southern, that southern kingdom. And Zephaniah, like I said, is written in kind of the late 600s B.C., 620 to 640. The, it, the north was gone. The north had been destroyed by the Assyrian Empire in 722. So the north was gone, which means Judah is the only game in town. When you're talking about the people of God... In 620, you're talking about it's that southern kingdom. They're the only ones who are around still. Uh, I mentioned a, a superpower before in my introduction, and I'll actually talk about this a little more next week. But the superpower is Babylon, ba because she's still on the ascendancy. Actually, Assyria was kind of collapsing at this point. Babylon was taking over her power, and so Babylon was beginning to extend her influence. Wait 50 more years, and Babylon will control the entire known world. That's that was kind of there the rising power when Zephaniah is written. And so hopefully that gives you a little bit of a sense that, that Zephaniah is written in what for Judah was an in-between time. Uh, there has been a lot of war in the 700s and, and Israel was destroyed. The northern kingdom was destroyed. But Babylon isn't really quite the threat yet that she's going to be in a couple of more decades. And so for Judah, this was actually kind of a nice time to be alive. It was actually a prosperous period. There's even some evidence of that here in Zephaniah. You see it in some of the other minor prophets as well. Um, it, it was a good time to live from a certain perspective. Uh, economically, it was a boom time, right? It was, it was a boom time. The GDP was strong. Uh, the stock market was up. Uh, people were doing well. They were building nice houses. Luxury items were being imported. You read about this in the Bible. You can also see it in archaeology. Uh, it was a rich time in the history of the southern kingdom in Judah. But spiritually, it was also a dark time. It was a dark time. Uh, and you see this again in the late history books and in the, 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 the prophets. Uh, morally, ethically, spiritually, things were falling apart during this period. And, and that's the background for the little book of Zephaniah. It is a little book. It's a short book. It's just three chapters long. And the whole thing, as you look at it, is a single prophecy. Uh, some of the Old Testament prophets are collections of prophets, like Isaiah is a good example of that. It was written over a couple of decades. Uh, but Zephaniah is just one prophecy, one message that God gave to this prophet, this man named Zephaniah. And the fundamental question, I think, of, the, of it is, what is a believer to do? How should God's people live in the midst of a spiritual collapse? And I think that's a very relevant question for us today. 
Because a lot of American Christians feel just like that. You listen to that description of late-era Judah, and you're like, wow, that sounds a lot like uh, 21st century America, right? There's, there's lots of good things, right? Lots of good things, lots of blessings to count, like we sang before. And, but there's also lots of bad as, as we look around. There is rising violence. There is uh, abortion on demand. We have a, a culture that in many ways is unhinged from the truth. Just look at the debates over gender and, and identity and you see what I mean. Unhinged from the truth. Spiritual complacency among God's people is, is a problem. Right? It's a big problem. Uh, yes, there are still good Bible-believing churches out there, but they're getting harder and harder to find. Right, just try moving and, and trying to find a new church. A lot of people will report how even when you find them sometimes, uh, you, you, good churches sometimes are, are, are taking a, a mix-and-match approach to, to their faith. And we're actually going to see this same kind of thing in Zephaniah's day. You know, you take a, a little bit of, of God, a little bit of truth, you take a little bit of the world, you mash them together, and you make up your own personal version of, of our case, Christianity, and their case of, of Judaism. And, and so you see all this being ourselves, the same question Zephaniah was asking himself and, and the faithful people who were still around at that time. And the question is, what's a believer to do? How do we live when we live in times like this? Well, that's the question we're going to answer. We're going to actually take the next four weeks to work through the prophet Zephaniah, the four weeks I'm in the pulpit. And uh, as we do, we're going to look at four answers. I think there are four answers in this book to the question, what's a believer to do? Uh, the first answer, the one we're going to look at today, and it's the one the book starts with, is repent. Repentance. When we live in times like faithful people is practice repentance in our own lives. And this is where Zephaniah begins. We can't make the world repent of their sin, right? God's going to call them to it, and you'll see that as we go through. But we, we can't make somebody else repent, but we can repent of ourselves. And so that's the first thing we need to do. If, if you're, a, you're going to do with that serial you're going to sweep it away, right? You're going to get a broom, you're going to sweep it up, unless you have a dog, in which case you call the dog. But, uh, but, but if you don't have a dog and you've spilt Rice Krispies all over the floor, you're going to get a broom or something and you're going to sweep it all away. You're not going to leave a third of it there, right? And then crunch on Rice Krispies for the next three days. You're going to sweep it all away. And that's what the Lord says. This is where he begins. He kind of, he jumps into the deep end here with this, right? He's just, the book begins with, I'm going to judge the entire earth. And, and the focus there, you see it in the, in the description, the focus is on the people, right? It's the, the wicked. It's the people who sin against the Lord. But you notice, don't you, that, that humans being judged for their sin affects the whole planet, right? The whole creation gets caught up in this. And so he talks about the birds and the animals and the fish. And so everything is affected by God's judgment of sin. Right? And, and so the point, the book opens with this strong statement, God's not going to look the other way. That's what he, he says, he gives to Zephaniah to tell his people of that day, God's, I'm not judged, and when I judge it, I'm not going to pick and choose, I'm going to judge it completely, God says. That, that uh, makes us ask a question, a little bit of a side question, but, but it's an important one. Uh, when's that going to happen? Right, so you read verses 2 and 3, and it's clearly this description of universal judgment. Uh, when's that going to happen? Um, the Bible actually has two answers to, to verses 2 and 3. When you look at verses 2 and 3, you say, when's that going to happen? Um, part of the answer, part one, is that it happens in history. God, judge, God is providentially in control of history. And so God judges nations in history. And so God, he goes from the whole earth, and then verse 4, I will stretch out my hand against Judah 
and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal and the name of the idolatrous priests along with the priests and those who bow down on the roofs to the host of the heavens, those who bow down by Milcom, those who have turned back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. So now we, we wade into that decline, the, the spiritual and moral chaos that I was describing at the beginning. Uh, and so verse 4 talks about idolatry, right? You have the, worships of ba- uh, the worshipers of Baal who are living in Judah. They're accepted, they're allowed, they're embraced. In, it also talks about um, idolatrous priests. And I think we've shifted there from the priests of Baal to the priests of Yahweh, who are sneaking off on the, on the weekends, to, or in the weekdays, I suppose, to, to, to worship Baal, right? And Baal, by the way, is this false storm god. It's this, a storm god of coming out of the Canaanite religion. Uh, so you have that in verse 4. Verse 5, I think we see uh, this has spread to the regular people, corrupt leadership. Uh, regular people are participating in idolatry, and so they go up on their roofs to worship the stars, he says. Uh, Psalm 19 says the heavens declare the glory of God, but that's not what these people were seeing. They were going up on their roofs uh, to, to declare the glory of the different, uh, the different gods, other gods. Uh, that's the first half of verse 5. Uh, and then uh, in the second half of verse 5, you actually see it in the first half too, but really what verse 5 is is where you see this spiritual mixing that I was talking about before. There's actually a technical term for that. It's called syncretism, but I kind of like this idea of mixing or mix and match. And so second half of verse 5, what does he talk about? He says they're, they're bowing down to the Lord, right? They're still going to temple and they're sitting there in the synagogue, but then they're also swearing by Milcom. Swearing by Milcom. You say, who's Milcom? I, I had to look that one up myself. I'd never come across that one, or at least that I could remember. Uh, Milcom, it turns out, is another name for the god Molech. It's Molech. And uh, Molech might be a little more familiar. And the thing you need to know about Molech worship is that Molech worship was based on child sacrifice. That was the way you worshiped Molech. You offered a child. You, you killed your own child or had your child killed by a priest in honor uh, of Molech. And so look what he's saying there. He says, you've got these people who are claiming to be true Israelites. These aren't no pagans from you know, some other part of the globe. They're, they're in Jerusalem. They say they're, Jeruz- they're Israelites. And at the same time, they're participating in this grisly death cult of Molech, sacrificing their children to this demon. It's fraud, and so there's your dishonesty. Pagan superstition, just kind of like buying into and living superstitiously. That's the thing with leaping over the threshold um, it, it basically is this, this idea that demons lived in or tried to live in the doorways of houses. And so if you bought into a pagan worldview, kind of an animistic worldview where you were scared of demons and, and false gods, you would step over the threshold so as not to antagonize the demon. Uh, and, and, and there were people in Israel who were living this way, living with all these superstitions. Uh, verse 12 talks about that spiritual complacency that we identified. Uh, look at the, look what this, these people are saying. The Lord won't do good, he won't do ill. Right? So basically, God doesn't matter. But he doesn't really matter to our lives, he doesn't do anything. Uh, there's a term for that, it's called practical atheism. Right? It's people who, who say they believe God is there, but they don't, it doesn't affect them in any way. They don't uh, live as if God exists. They just say that he does. <clears throat> Verse 13 describes people who trust in their wealth. This appears to be a a big issue at that point. They were trusting in wealth instead of trusting God. And so you get this emphasis on uh, goods and houses and vineyards and the wine that comes from the vineyards. 
And we know we're trust, they were trusting in them because of verses 17 and 18. Uh, the prophecy actually comes back to wealth. Their wealth won't save them for them is the word. Uh, and the fact that the prophet tells us that means they thought that it would. Right? They thought their silver and their gold and their wealth and their houses and their vineyards would, would save them. And so they were trusting in that stuff instead of trusting the Lord. And so that's kind of, again, kind of an overview of stuff. Not, it's not a comprehensive list, but it's a, a descriptive list of the sort of stuff God judges when he judges sin. Uh, the other thing going on in this section, and, and I think it's the dominant one, is the actual judgment. And this is where you see really the seriousness that, that God holds this, how seriously he takes human rebellion, human sin. Uh, he hates it. I don't think it's, it's wrong to use that word. Uh, he's furious about it. I think that's also an appropriate word. We don't usually think of God as being furious, but I, I don't know how else to describe some of these images that we have in here, these pictures. And uh, I, I think that it kind of boils out to three big pictures. If you look at verses 7 through 18, uh, the first picture of judgment is a banquet. Right, so, well, that sounds good, right? A banquet. Uh, so he talks in verse 7 about the Lord has prepared a banquet. Well, that's, I'd like to go to a banquet that the Lord prepares. Uh, but then in verse 8, right? So he's, made, he's got sacrifices ready to be offered at the banquet, which would have been part of a formal banquet at that time. Uh, and he's got guests that he's invited. But then look at what he does with them in verse 8. Uh, this is a banquet of judgment. And actually, I think the idea here is that the guests are the sacrifice, Right? And so he's going to judge the king's sons and his officials. The thing about the foreign clothing, uh, it's, the, it's that they were trusting in foreign powers rather than trusting in the Lord. And so they were making all these alliances, which we know was a big temptation for Israel at that time in her history. And so you have this banquet, but it's not a nice banquet. It's a banquet that descends into punishment. The next picture, it's verses 9 through 13. It's a city under siege. Verses 9 through 13 is a city under siege. Specifically, it's Jerusalem. It's the city of Jerusalem. Because all of those places are places in ancient Jerusalem before the Babylonians destroyed it in 586 B.C. The fish gate led into the food market. That was, you know, if you've ever gone to a big city in America, you've kind of had this, you know, there's certain places where all the food vendors gather. The fish gate was the food market. The second quarter was actually one of the nicer neighborhoods. It was a newer neighborhood, and it was one of the nicer neighborhoods in Jerusalem. The mortar in verse 11, uh, that was actually, that was their version of Wall Street. Right? Jerusalem had an ancient Wall Street. It was called the mortar. That was where all the trading and the commerce and, and that sort of thing was going on. God is saying in the book of Zephaniah is, yeah, the Babylonians may be the army you see, but I'm the one who's doing it. I'm the one who's laying siege against the city because of her sin, all that sin that he's identifying there. And then the third picture in that section is, is a war. So you have the picture of, of a war, and it kind of flows out of the siege. Uh, in verses 14 through 18, God goes to war. The Lord goes to war against his own people because of their sin and their rebellion. And, and that, I think, is all these, these descriptions of the ugliness and of war. Look at, look at the words that are used there. It's bitter. Uh, wait, 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 it starts with verse 14, right? Uh, I think you want, you're looking at verse 14 here. Uh, it's bitter. It's distressful. Uh, and then start into verses 15. Uh, it's filled with anguish and ruin and devastation and gloom and darkness. And you say, well, that could be anything, right? Yes, but, verse 16, we realize this is all war, right? It's the battle, it's the trumpet blast. It's the battle cry of war, verse 16. Uh, verse 17, what a gory verse. Being poured out like dust and flesh like dung. 
And I think what you have there, I puzzled over this for a while, but then I, I thought of some of the, the historical stuff I've looked at. Ancient warfare was really gory. I mean, not like it's not now. It's, I mean, war is messy and ugly in every era, but in the ancient warfare, it was just uh, arrows and, and blades tended to get battlefields. Sometimes there would literally be blood running through the trenches. And, and I think that's the picture here. It's a, it's a battlefield scene in verse 17, which explains a, 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 an interesting line in verse 14. The mighty man cries aloud. He's a warrior. It's, it, that's the idea. And, and the idea is even the greatest warrior is, is filled with fear. He's terrified. He's crying out in the face of the Lord's judgment. Uh, Achilles, Alexander, Caesar, Napoleon, Patton, Rambo, whoever you think, the greatest warriors will cower and cry like babies in the face of God's wrath. That's the imagery. And the point of all these images, those strong verses, 7 through 18, the point of all of it is that judges sin. And when he does, it is terrible. It is terrible when God pours out his wrath, which means sin is really, really serious. It's deadly serious. We must take sin seriously. It's not to be winked at or excused or laughed about or taken casually. Sin is deadly. Why? Because it provokes God's wrath. A lot of times we talk about sin as if it's, it, it's bad merely because of the utility of it, right? If you're, if, you're, if you're mean to somebody, you'll have a bad relationship with them. Maybe you won't get promoted. Maybe you won't have a good reputation. Those things are all true. But Zephaniah makes us realize sin is, is bad because it makes God angry, provokes his wrath. That brings us to the second essential component of repentance, the other part now. And the second essential component is that we need to turn. We need to turn. And there are two parts to this turn. We need to turn from our sin and toward the Lord. Turn away from our sin and turn toward the Lord. Uh, Chapter 1 ends, you see it there in the text, it ends with a warning. The Lord will make a full and sudden end of all the inhabitants of the earth. He kind of circles back to those verses 2 and 3, to that universal judgment. God judges rebellious, sinful humanity. But the warning is immediately followed, right? So we, we've, we've been beaten up a little bit, and, and we as humanity needed it in chapter 1. But now we get this gracious invitation, this gracious invitation in verse 1 of chapter 2. And so we read, Gather together. Yes, gather, O shameless nation. Gather together, it says. First thing to note is that the Lord is talking to sinners. He's talking to the, to the sinners in verse 1, right? The shameless nation. Talking to Zephaniah, the Lord speaking through Zephaniah is addressing all those people from verse 1, or excuse me, from chapter 1. Uh, shameless nation. That's who he's talking to. But look at what he says. Look what he says to these sinners. He says, come to me while you still can. Gather together. Come to me. That's verse 1. It reminds me of a, of a, of a more well-known verse from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Come now, God says. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, though you are a shameless nation, Zephaniah's language, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become white like wool. There in Isaiah, here in Zephaniah, God is calling human beings to repentance. 
That's what verse 1 is about. Turn away from your sin. And, and there's a little bit of a, there, there's a warning implied there because what he says is do it before it's too late. Do it before it's too late. And that's what you get in, in verse 2. So gather together, yes, gather, O shameless nation, before the decree takes effect. What decree? The decree from chapter 1. Before the decree takes effect, before the day passes away like chaff, before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord. Repent while you still can. That's the message. That's the message to unbelievers and then to believers too. It's a message we need to take seriously because Zephaniah is written to both. Turn while you can. Turn from your idolatry. Turn from your mixing of lies with truth and your religious corruption. Turn from violence. Turn from fraud. Turn from lying. Turn from materialism and trusting in your wealth and and spiritual complacency. Turn from unfaithfulness and lust and bitterness and resentment and grudges that you've been holding. Turn. Turn away from all of it, God says. That's what real repentance looks like. It's not enough to just know that sin is serious. Real repentance is then taking the next step and turning away from that sin, stopping doing it. But like I said a minute ago, this turn has two parts. There's two parts to the turn. We turn from sin and to the Lord, which is what you have in verse 3. Wonderful words of grace. Zephaniah is a little bit sometimes like, um, like one of those rides at the fair or, you know, where, you, where it's like a bungee cord and you're like, pew, pew, right? I mean, you're, you're getting kind of, you know, really hit hard in chapter 1. And then you get these incredible grace and actually, you'll see when we get there in a few weeks, stick with me. Don't just say, well, I'm not going to go to church in August. That's too rough. Um, when we get to the second half of the book, especially the last week, so much grace. Some of the most beautiful words in, in the Old Testament. Uh, but even this is grace. Look at verse 3. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land who do his just commands. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. See the invitation there. Seek me, God says. Seek the Lord. Seek righteousness. Seek humility before me. Turn from your sin, but, but turn toward me. Turn toward your God. And I love this. The Lord gives a name to those who do that. He actually gives them a name there in, in verse 3. He calls them the humble of the land. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land who do his just commands. That's who you want to be, right? If you're living in a land of, of, uh, of despair and decadence and, and all the rest of it, living in a land like that, you want to be the humble of the land. And I think that's the bottom line of this first section. When you live in times like this, make sure you yourself are, are living repentantly, that you are the humble of the land, that the Lord calls you one of those people. I'll tell you also, finally, that there's a payoff There's a payoff when we live that way, and the payoff is at the very end of verse 13. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. Uh, The day of the anger of the Lord is chapter 1, right? It's it's the day. It's that term again, the day of the Lord. This time it's the day of the anger of the Lord. Uh, God judges sin. You can count on it. Sometimes we have to wait to see it. God's patient. He works over decades and centuries. He doesn't always work in, in short time periods. Uh, but God judges sin. You can count on it. But there is a way to escape it. Good news, human beings. Good news, believers. There's a way to escape God's wrath against sin. We can be hidden from it. 
We can be hidden from his wrath. Now, this is an Old Testament book. Like I said before, 600 years before the incarnation, before Jesus is born. So verse 3 isn't going to mention Jesus. Not going to talk about Jesus. And I think that's why the word perhaps is used there. You know, you're like, perhaps? You know, is there, is there a chance that I won't be? Uh, in that context, before Jesus has come, it is perhaps. Uh, but there's no perhaps about it now for us. In Jesus Christ, God's plan was completely fulfilled. And so in Jesus, there's no perhaps. There's no perhaps. If we trust in him, if we receive his salvation, if we confess our sins and practice repentance, we will escape God's wrath on on the day of judgment, especially that last day of judgment. And the reason we escape is that Jesus took it upon himself. Uh, this, this morning is, uh, is Communion Sunday for us. I'm going to lead us in prayer in just a moment, and we're going to uh, talk about that. But this is why, right? This is why we, uh, the bread and the cup remind us of what Jesus did in taking God's wrath upon himself on the cross. How is it you and I can be hidden from God's wrath against our sin and the sin of our nation? How is it that we can escape that? Well, when we put our faith in Jesus, we escape it because he's absorbed it for us. He's taken it for us. He gave his body. He gave his blood. I'm going to ask you to pray with me, please, and I'm just going to lead us in a time of prayer, and then we will um, get ourselves what we need for for communion, and we'll share that together. So let's let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you for... um, Thank you for this challenge. Uh, we, we need these challenges. It's, uh, spiritually, it's like a good workout where we're, our muscles are sore and uh, we're out of breath and, and sweat's pouring down, but we know it's going to make us stronger because this passage is like that, Lord. You, you have stretched us and challenged us this morning. And uh, maybe it's stung a little bit, but we thank you for it. Lord, I want to confess. We want to take this time to confess to you. Um, if there's anywhere where we're where we've lapsed into any of these things, Lord, if there's any mixing going on in our lives where we're mixing lies from the world with the truth from, from Scripture, uh, if, if we're corrupt, if we're violent, if we're, we've been dishonest or fraudulent in any way, if we're trusting in our wealth rather than in you, would you, would you just show us that now in these few moments of, of silence? Anything else, Lord, outside of this book maybe, but that you want to bring to mind, would you just do that now that we might confess our sin to you and and practice what we've preached this morning, that we might practice repentance before you as we come to the table.